Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning. What an exciting day to be here, amen? If we have not yet had the chance to meet, my name is Mark. I am the pastor here, and it has been a delight uh, to worship with you already this morning to see uh, some of our Bible school kids share what they've learned and some of the music. Uh, It's just been a fantastic week of ministry here at Hope Church. You know, our mission statement is to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for him. And it is obvious to me that this church has a heart and a passion for doing that, from our youngest to our most seasoned uh, members and citizens here. So I'm very, very grateful for the hard work that's been done. Uh, And as we gather for our message time this morning, this might be an appropriate time if you have your Hope Church Plus app handy to pull it out, use the follow-along notes, or they're also inserted in the bulletin as a hard copy, you'd like to have those, uh, because this will help guide us through our journey this morning with the content that we have for our message and the third installment of our message series this month called Hope at the Movies. And you'll see that this week, as we saw the bumper video as well as on the screen, is Back to the Future. So how do we get here? The first week, which was the 4th of July weekend, we looked at Hacksaw Ridge and we saw uh, about how Jesus' mission is to seek and to save the lost. And he's inviting us on that mission as well, to seek and to save the lost, as we all work together to help uh, bring together some of the elements of the Declaration of Independence, like life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And we rolled all those together and looked at uh, Hacksaw Ridge and saving one more in Jesus' mission, like I said, to seek and to save the lost. And then last week, we looked at uh, Will Ferrell's kind of a dramedy movie called Stranger Than Fiction. And we looked about, and we worked at working in grace to make Jesus known. I'm going to kind of butcher the words there, but that's what we did. We worked in grace to see how we can make Jesus known. And so today, as you've seen, we're looking at Back to the Future. Now, I know this is probably a silly question. But is there anyone in here who has seen Back to the Future? So probably not spoiling anything for anybody. If so, the movie's what? Going on 40 years old, something like that. So it's, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, but, and as you saw from the clip, or from the bumper video that we used from the trailer, uh, the story, is, it's about uh, Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, uh, who gets in a time machine and ends up going back in time. And as a result of his going back in time, He's creating all these uh, ripples within the time-space continuum. And uh, the girl who would be his mother ends up developing a crush on him. And his presence there ends up causing his dad to be a bit of a wallflower. And so Marty McFly's job is to try to undo the trouble that he's created and the problems that he's committed and to get his parents back together before he disappears. He runs out of time, so to speak, as well as with his family and some of the shenanigans that ensue as a result of that. Uh, And so it's really quite a fun movie to get into the nostalgia and to think about uh, how we could experience power and change. But we have a clip that we're going to watch really quickly that uh, happens kind of in the first third of the film, I suppose. It's when Marty McFly is back in 1955 
and he is meeting up with Doc Brown, who's played by Christopher Lloyd. And this is the, the 1.21 gigawatts uh, scene, if you're familiar with it. And so uh, as we see this, we work through it together. Uh, we're going to look at the idea about lightning and how the scripture brings and pull these, pulls these ideas and concepts together uh, as we consider the power of change when we consider our past, our present, and our future and the role that God uses with lightning in the midst of it all. So let's watch our clip from Back to the Future. It ought to sit. Why do the chicken coops only have two doors? Because if they had four, it would be chicken sedans. <laughs> oh my gosh. What do you call a laughing motorcycle? A Yamaha. A Yamaha. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Who is the greatest babysitter mentioned in the Bible? David. He rocked Goliath to sleep. At what time of day was Adam created? A little before Eve. Get out of here. What do you call a cow with no legs? Ground beef. <laughs> All right, what do you call a fish with two knees? A two-knee fish. Two knee? <laughs> I know, it took me a little long. I, late. A cop just knocked on my door and told me that my dogs were chasing people on bikes. My dogs don't even own bikes. <laughs> Did you know the first French fries weren't actually cooked in France? They were cooked in Greece. I tried to eat a clock the other day. It was really time consuming. <laughs> mwah, mwah. <laughs> Who was the smallest person in the Bible? Ne <laughs> Nehemiah. <laughs> Need an ark? I know a guy. Think about this clip, and it has always fascinated me that the number 1.21 gigawatts or gigawatts, whatever it is, uh, is actually a product. What numbers do we multiply to get 21? Seven and three. That's exactly right. I heard our educators who haven't gotten quite out of the school uh, zone yet uh, answer first, but seven times three. Now, anytime we see these numbers appear in the script, it's just like uh, there's a flashing light to say, hey, pay attention to this, because 
Seven is the number of completion. What did God do in seven days? Created and then rested. And then three is the number of perfection. What do we also see about the number three? First of all, the Trinitarian nature of God, that God exists as one God in the persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But something else also happened over the course of three days. What was it? The resurrection. Okay, so we see some of these automatic uh, tie-ins here, these clues that say, wow, something perfect and complete is about to happen here. And so I want us to take a look at lightning in the Bible. Now, this would be an idea like lightning in a bottle, but lightning in the Bible. Uh, And we see that it occurs 49 times in the Bible. We see evidence of lightning 49 times in the Bible. Uh, One of my favorites is in the book of Job when God talks about how he has all the lightning stored up in the skies. The second is it refers to God's power to change you and me. And the third is... Jesus illuminating our darkness. Okay, so we have 49 instances of lightning used in the scripture. It denotes God's power and presence, and it refers to God's ability to change things, namely you and me. If you were to go into the gospel accounts at the time of the resurrection, after Jesus had been dead for three days, we see references to lightning. The appearance of the angels as they came to remove the stone from in front of the tomb. The appearance of the angels as they appeared to the women who went to go prepare Jesus' body for long-time burial. And even in the visual implications of Christ's presence when he first appears. It's giving us this idea of transcendent power. And it connects us back to just before Jesus is going into Jerusalem to be sacrificed and to be executed and be raised from the dead in the transfiguration. As Jesus goes on the mountain of transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. And there he is transfigured into his holy and divine presence and power. He looks like lightning. And there... On the mountain of transfiguration as Jesus stands with Moses who represents the law and Elijah who represents the prophets. We see that Jesus is the fulfillment, the culmination of all three. And so we get again this idea that the number three is very important. That perfection that works with completion that brings it all together and helps drive it all home. We look at the past with back to the future. An idea about getting back to where it was always intended to be. Maybe this brings up ideas and thoughts and imagination about what it was like in the Garden of Eden in the first place. When God created the heavens and the earth and called it good and then he created Adam and and even called us as humanity very good. Yet humanity fell and we moved away from God's originally intended purpose for our lives. Christ comes back to destroy the power of sin, the threat of the grave, so that we can get back to our original designed purpose in God's presence and relationship. Does that give you chills? It doesn't mean it's going to Jesus jig real quickly. It's an amazing thing to think about. So we see Bible constantly uses lightning 
is a way to denote power and presence and God's ability to change things. So let's look at our gospel lesson. Actually, it's our uh, Bible lesson today. It comes from the book of Romans, the first chapter, verses 16 to 25. And I'm reading this morning out of the message version. And it is a little bit of a longer passage, but it's, it's so good. I don't want us to miss out on anything. So let's, uh, let's look at this. And as we think about it, I want you to hone in on those ideas, the concepts, the passages that we read here that help point us to the power to change thanks to God's presence and power. You ready? It's news I'm most proud to proclaim this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him, starting with Jews and then right on to everyone else. And what Paul's talking about there is the people who were born into the Jewish faith, because Jesus came uh, to lead the people in the Jewish faith uh, into the heartbeat of God. And then after that, Jesus' mission was to bring all people, regardless of they're born into a Jewish family or not, into that family of God's chosen people. So that's what he means by everyone else. And then God's way of putting people right shows up in the acts of faith, confirming what Scripture has said all along. The person in right standing before God, by trusting him, really lives. But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of humans mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. I almost want to editorialize this and talk about some things happening in our culture, you know, trying to distort and uh, twist the truth. But we see that this has been an issue that uh, the Lord has worked with ever since our fall from grace in the garden. Remember what Satan's temptation was. Did God really say? It's all about trying to sow seeds of doubt, right? And so this continued on through Christ's ministry into the work of Paul, picking up. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. Going back to our first message in this this series, this is similar to what Thomas Jefferson was referencing when he talked about the laws of nature and nature's God, right? So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. Paul could have actually said as well that we went from worshiping God to worshiping self or worshiping preference or worshiping pleasure, right? We've shifted our worship from God to self, picking back up. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life they traded the glory of god who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand so god said in effect if that's what you want that's what you get it wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen smeared with filth filthy inside and out and all this because they traded the true god for a fake god and worshiped the god they made instead of the god who made them the God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes. This is the word of God for God's people. Let's give thanks to God. Amen. All right, so we see here these connections from creation and the fall into our current situation, right? 
It's this power of worship that every single one of us feels. It's like an inertia that draws us. Every single one of us has a throne in our heart, right? And God wants to be the one who sits upon that throne. But as a result of our sin nature, the fact that we want it, as the old Burger King commercials would say, your way right away, right? Because we have fallen into the nature of original sin, we've fallen, we have traded our worship of God, who is preeminent, who is sovereign, who is awesome, we've traded it for worshiping self, for worshiping preference, for worshiping pleasure, for worshiping pride, popularity, power. But not the type of power that changes the world. In this same area in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, we see today there are too many people, I think, who are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, and to explain why he isn't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he said, because that has the power to change and really, truly transform. He's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now our corrupt culture wants you to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It wants us to hold back, to keep it in. But I love how the prophet Jeremiah talked about the gospel. It wasn't necessarily the gospel at that point, but the word of God is like a fire in his bones. That if he doesn't get it out, it's going to consume him. This word for power that we see in Romans 1 comes from the original Greek, which that word is dynamis, from which we get our word dynamite. It is a power that comes with complete and perfect ferocity that changes us at the chemical and molecular level. Just like a bolt of lightning. That 1.21 gigawatts that comes and transforms us completely and perfectly into the image of Christ. But we see from reading this passage in Romans chapter 1, what happens when we don't worship the power of God, but rather we continue to allow ourselves to be victimized by the power of preference or pleasure or power or popularity or what other P word you might want to use, right? We see what happens is that God essentially takes his hand off the wheel. Or maybe it's more accurate, or should more accurately be put, God takes his hand off the scale. Because we've had sin and imbalance in our world and in our lives ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden. And it is as though God's presence and power, his sense of justice, is essentially like keeping his finger on the scale to try to prevent the imbalance from getting so out of whack. It's like it throws all of us off a spinning and uh, a seesaw or a seesaw. Merry go round is what I was looking for. That was the image I had. It, that inertia that continues is like a speeding merry go round that's going to start flinging us off. And so God keeping his hand on the scales prevents that culture from just spinning out of control but what happens the more and more we continue to try to worship self to worship power to worship privilege to worship pleasure what ends up happening from what paul writes in romans 1 we see god just says all right have at it your way right away you will see the consequences of what happens when god removes his hands from the scale. 
the imbalance, the injustice, the war on truth, the war on morality, the war on good and love. I don't know about you, but right now with everything going on in the world, and I confess, I pay too much attention to the news and current events, but it just feels so wrong, doesn't it? Isaiah talked about plainly that the times will come when people will look at the light and call it dark, good and call it evil, sweet and call it bitter, and crave things like darkness, evil, and bitterness. Not just craving it, but promoting it and trying to recruit into it and what we must have to stand in the gap is light over darkness, good over evil, sweetness over bitterness. We need the presence and the power of Christ to come and strike our world and to bring things back into balance to change you and me at that molecular, chemical level. And the good news is, as the Apostle Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 12 later on, when he went on to say that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. A new creation. We're beyond the point of just reforming and trying to make things better. It needs to be restored through the redemption that comes with changing power of Christ in our lives. That power of Christ, the complete and the perfect power of Christ may strike us in our heart, may leave us changed, may cause us to crave the things of goodness and light and sweetness. And so when we break down, we have our takeaways from this passage in Romans chapter 1. What we see here is the miracle of God's presence, right? We see the miracle of God's presence. Folks, why is that a miracle? It's because we look at the fall story right after creation and Adam and Eve ushered sin into the world. And God says, I can't have anything to do with sin. But God sets a plan, a path in motion to redeem and restore us, not just renew us, but to restore us, to make us new, to change us from the inside out, right? And it's that resurrected power of Jesus that comes and it makes itself on display that everyone who was there, the angels, the women, Christ himself, saw and experienced the power of God's life-giving lightning to change and to transform. The miracle of God's presence. And it is exemplified in the fact that Jesus came. He didn't wait until we cleaned up our rooms or cleaned our plates or cleaned up our lives. He came and he said, friends, I am going to come and together we will make the change. So Christ's power through his presence is to change you and me from the inside out to make us that new creation. And what happens when we allow ourselves is Jesus illuminates our darkness. Jesus illuminates our darkness. The way that the Gospel of John begins, it 
echoes or works as a mirror to the beginning of Genesis. Genesis, where we read about God creating the heavens and the earth, right? We look at John, and we see that Christ was present in that creation narrative, the creation power. And Christ is coming for the sake of of opening the opportunity, I apologize, for you and me to become that new creation, the transformed, the redeemed presence and power of Christ. It illuminates our darkness. But the reality is, is that much like we sit in the room right now, darkness can sometimes be a little comfy, cozy. I don't know about you, but I am extremely light sensitive. I can't sleep even if there is a shred of light in the room. And my bride Tiffany can attest to that. She's had to adjust to it. And so we have these really dark room darkening shades, these really thick room darkening shades in our room. And then I have, I'm, I probably shouldn't be talking about this, but I will anyway. I always wear a sleep mask to the point, last year during Hands of Hope, uh, Daniel was ready to get some of the students to start making fun of me because of my sleep mask. But realized, hey, you know, I probably had the best night's sleep of anyone during Hands of Hope last year. But I wear that sleep mask. And then I also get up under my most, probably my most prized possession, which is what I call my sleep pillow. I've probably had this pillow for 20 years, maybe longer. Uh, but it is as thin and, uh, thin. It is as thin and flimsy as you could imagine. But that thing just fits so perfectly over my face, over my pillow. I mean, over my mask. And then I pull the sheet. I pull my comforter, and I pull my braze throw up all up over my head. And folks, I call it my cocoon because I just love to be in the cocoon. Now, that means we have to keep our room like an icebox, particularly in the winter. But the reality is, is I love just being in that complete pitch black darkness. It helps me sleep. It makes me comfy. A little cozy. We move that into the spiritual realm. And when we are actively engaged in sin, succumbing to our temptations, what is it that we prefer? Did I hear someone say the darkness? We prefer the darkness because the light illuminates what it is that we are doing. The light illuminates how we have slid and how we've slipped and how we've fallen. We prefer the darkness. Jesus came to bring illumination of that darkness to reveal to us that even though we may be tempted to slip and to slide into those areas of darkness and of evil and even things that are bitter to the health of our soul that we need the light of the world to illuminate us to change us from the inside out with the miracle of God's presence that he comes for you and me even while we are still Craving the darkness, craving evil, craving bitterness. That light comes for you and for me. Now John would write in one of his letters, he would talk about how the light is painful for those who are in sin. I think many of us who've been to a movie or a play or something of those lines like this can understand what that's like. We're in a dark dim room, it's comfy, it's cozy, and we go out in the middle of the day, and the sun hurts our eyes. I mean, it is painful. And so that initial temptation may be to run back in to where it's dark and comfy and cozy and where we are comfortable in our waywardness and in our darkness. 
but what God prefers for us is for our lives, our lives, that's not what I meant, I apologize, our eyes and our lives, not our lives, to adjust to the light, where Jesus is illuminating our darkness and coming good on promise that that power of God that changes you and me thanks to his presence that illuminates our darkness will also change the world. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The words are on the screen. God has highly exalted him, being Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus appeared like lightning post-resurrection. And as the song with which we used to open our service this morning indicates, Jesus, when he returns again to claim final victory, will return dressed like lightning. But what is it that Paul also indicated to us in that Philippians 2 passage? Is that when Jesus comes, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. On the earth? And where else? Under the earth. The torment of hell, my friends. The ultimate and the perpetual removal of the finger of God for balance and justice is that even in hell, those who have been damned will know that Jesus was and is Lord of all. And that choice of darkness over light, evil over good, bitterness over sweet, won't seem so productive anymore, will it? So we need to be changed completely and perfectly to allow that 1.21 gigawatts to penetrate our soul, to reveal to us where we ourselves have given over from worshiping God to worshiping self, to worshiping preference and pleasure, popularity and power, to give ourselves over to the God who created us and called us very good, opted not to cast us out and leave us even in our sinfulness, but to come and to save us and in his son, Jesus, to redeem us and to restore us, not just renew us. And so, I want to ask you this morning, if you have not yet made that decision to follow Jesus in your heart, to make today that opportunity. You might be surprised that when you walk through the doors and you sit down in your seat that lightning did not come and strike you where it sat. In the nearly three years I've been here, it hasn't happened yet. And in my 20-something years of ministry, I've never seen it happen. Sometimes I've been a little surprised on my own accord. But the reality is that when God wants to use lightning 
and to throw it from heaven to change us. It's not to condemn us. It's to make us new at the chemical and the molecular and the spiritual level that can only be accomplished thanks to the power and the presence of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who when that time comes, every knee will bow and tongue confess in heaven and on earth and even in hell that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So why not make it today? Why wait until then? Why take the risk? May we bow our knees together today and say, dear Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you. Change me. You have changed the world and use me to help you change the world. Forgive me when I have chosen to go the way of darkness and of evil and bitterness. And help me, Lord, by the power of your complete and perfect love to forgive me, to redeem me, and to restore me. Because you have the ability to change things that I didn't think could be changed. In our minds, and our hearts, and our lives, and our church, our community, and our culture. So may that be our prayer together today. Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me on the stage as we bring this message to a close together today. And I want you to think about how God is inviting you to get back to the future. To get back to the original purpose which you were created and intended. For that holy and saving relationship. And if you would like to speak with someone about what that means for you, please let me know. I would be honored. Uh, if you don't know about today and you'd like maybe catch up with me during the week, maybe an email is the best way to do it. My email is just very simply my first name, Mark, at placeofhope.org, which is our church web domain. And that is available on the website if you like. But friends, I just want you to know that this is an opportunity and a chance for you to get your life right, to find that power of Christ, and to allow God's hand to come and bring balance and stability back to your soul, that you may sense the love and the hope and the justice that he has in store for you. So join me in prayer, please. Living and loving God, I give you thanks for today, and I thank you for sending us your son, Jesus, to change us and to transform us. We look at images of things like the transfiguration and what happened right after Jesus' resurrection. And we realize, Lord God, that you want to change us into our originally designed and passioned form. Forgive us, Lord God, for the times we've chosen darkness and we've chosen evil and we've chosen bitterness. We've chosen things apart from you. But by the power of your love and your grace and your mercy, enable us here in this moment, at this time, and in this place to bow our knees to confess with our mouths that you are Lord of our lives and that you are going to redeem us and to restore us and to deploy us into our church and our community and throughout all the culture and creation to be agents of change and transformation as well. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.